On this episode of the Evolve Podcast. The internet was built to connect computers to computers. And computers, they do not dream, they do not care about power or self-enrichment. But humans do, as we have egos. And hmm. therefore, the internet now suffers manipulation and theft and fraud. And because the internet is a bit of a mess, that echoes back to society. So what we say is, to save the world, we need to fix the internet. And trust really must become part of the base layer of the internet. Mm. That's possible in an open source way through Timestamp. Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Stover and I interview purpose-driven founders and leaders to educate, inspire, and empower your success in leaving an impact on the world. The goal here is for the rest of us to ask the world's biggest questions, build startups to solve them, and live fulfilling lives in the process. Hey everyone, welcome to Evolve. I'm Brandon Stover and today's guest is an open source nerd who won Europe's Blockchains for Social Good contest in 2020 for his innovative Dutch startup that is on a mission to restore trust to the internet through transparency and accountability via blockchain timestamping. And with fraud, fake news and privacy issues, the internet has really been hungry for this. Within just six months of launching, they had 162, 173 timestamps over 25 million unique page views and over 17,000 views of WordProof content on YouTube. And the spread across the internet just keeps climbing. As of today, they have had over 1 million articles, media files, and legal documents timestamped by their product. An amazing feat, but no surprise for an open source entrepreneur who has over 15 years of experience in internet technology. Starting out in 2006, he founded Van Owens, a leading agency in Amsterdam with a team of 25 experts who are focused on building WordPress sites, shops, and applications for big names such as IKEA, eBay, Unilever, and several governments serving over 100 million page views a year. In 2016, their agency launched an open source WordPress GDPR compliance plugin, which has been downloaded over 1.2 million times and is actively being used on over 100,000 WordPress sites around the globe. But this misinformation expert does not stop at technology. He has a proven track record in collaborating with the EU policymakers, spoken at dozens of conferences, written a book on digital transformation, and started a nonprofit to change the DNA of the internet for the better. Today's guest is none other than Sebastian van der Lons, founder of WordProof and chairman of the Trusted Web Foundation. Sebastian has always been someone passionate about community, open source, and democratization of the internet. Before starting and running a leading open source and WordPress agency for almost 15 years, Sebastian fell in love with technology and the internet. As long as I can remember, yeah, absolutely. And I've always been not only in tech, but also in sharing information. So even or with the agency, we founded it in 2006 and we were the first one publishing on WordPress in the mm -hmm. Netherlands or one of the first ones. And what I learned really early was not to, not only to build customer base, but also an audience. So yeah, that's what we do until today. And what drew you to starting an agency and why did you become such an advocate for WordPress and open source? Because like everyone working with everyone who builds websites, they always started with building their own content management system. And yeah, then while researching and building our own, we came across WordPress in 2006 or 2007 already. And then we thought, okay, this is so much bigger than what we can make ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that was by then the first one with a what you see is what you get editor. So without the help of a programmer, an entrepreneur or a journalist was able to publish on the internet with the ease of by then Microsoft Word. So yeah, that was mind blowing by then. And we thought, okay. This is a movement and we want to be part of that, opposed to having our own proprietary software. And from day one, we got phone calls with people from other agencies who said really to us, oh, you're destroying the market with your free software. So super cool. We thought, okay, if we make people angry, this is the way to go. Right, right. And really driving home the idea of democratization of the internet, being able to bring it to everybody, giving them the ability to be a part of it, be a publisher within it. Open source democratizes in many ways. So for information that was Wikipedia, op the, there's open source software and there's the community, the writers on Wikipedia, right. and it's the biggest en encyclopedia in the world. 
Then you had WordPress. It's an open source community and its users. No other content management system that has a company behind it or that's proprietary. You can't compete with a community of hundreds of thousands of people building websites with it. The same for Bitcoin, for example. It's open source technology and it's, it's, it's users. It's super interesting to see how open source software and communities are uh, eventually dominating every market they enter. Yeah. And so in 2016, when the Europe decided to adopt GDPR, you guys were like, okay, we're going to give to this community and you invested $60,000 worth of hours to create this plugin. Why did you care so much about, you know, helping the community with this and, you know, trust being built on the internet, starting to dive into that world? So, yeah, a few stories there. So we were an agency. We are an agency with 25 developers and it's super hard to find good developers for an agency. Mm -hmm. And we worked with WordPress for over, almost a decade by then. And we always had the wish to do a significant open source project within the agency. And then the GDPR came. GDPR and it's the, G the general data protection ruling from Europe and the execution was not that sexy. Not, <laughs> I always start at conferences, conferences with the question, who likes GDPR? Right. <laughs> and then everybody said, no, no of course, it's terrible. <laughs> and then people start to laugh. And GDPR, although the execution wasn't wonderful, the intention behind it is amazing. Because what Europe said there is the people in Europe, they aren't able to protect their privacy rights themselves. So we need to make companies uh, and organizations responsible for an internet where, with better data rights for consumers, citizens. And we thought, okay, no entrepreneur and organization, no one wants it to pay for being GDPR compliant. Right. There's a hard deadline in May 2018 that you must be GDPR compliant. So that's the ultimate thing we can build for free. If we build that for free, it will be adopted fast and people will be thankful because they don't have to pay to be GDPR compliant, at least not protected. Yeah. So we thought, okay, that, that's a cool thing to do. And we built the software, the team worked on it, and we, we launched it a few months before the deadline. A few weeks after, 10,000 10, downloads. A week after, tens of thousands of downloads. <laughs> Today, it has 2 million downloads and over 200,000 active users mm. protecting tens of millions of people on a daily base their GDPR rights and it costs us by today even with with supporting it maybe around 100k mm. direct benefit zero mm. indirect benefits to, that's twofold and that's the power of open source firstly it was super hard to find developers but Working on open source tools for developers is super cool as it's kind of a public resume for them. So it became way easier for us to find amazing programmers who want to work for us. Yeah. And secondly, in sales conversations, questions are always, oh, GDPR, how do you operate as an agency? We say, oh, we have a product, we have a, a free plugin running on 200,000 websites. So yeah, we know a bit about it. It makes us credible there. So it made sales easier as well direct benefits zero but indirect benefits were uh, massive yeah amazing i love that i love the idea of basically being able to test out developers which you know you're going to use in the future as we go further into your story but putting them on a project that maybe you know is something that you want to do but doesn't have as much risk to it and then yeah. also building a ton of credibility for your agency i think that's genius Thanks. Yeah. And it, it's really the power of open source. It's, it's getting a lot for free and it's giving a lot for free. And mm. in the end, everyone wins. So uh, we will later talk about the timestamping, of course, the blockchain timestamping stuff. But I, I really care about inclusivity with WordPress, for example. It's the best technology or it's super good technology, which is available for everyone. It, it's literally free. As not only free in uh, price, but also in freedom. You can mm -hmm. modify WordPress. You can share your modified version. It's yeah, it's how the world how the world should be. Before we get to the details of WordProof, why did you decide to found another company when you were doing so well as an agency for fifteen years? I learned about the blockchain technology in 2013, and although most people are familiar with Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. 
Blockchain was invented in 1991 already, 30 years and one month ago, for proving the integrity of information, that there hasn't been tampered with information, and all in an open source way. And when I learned about blockchain, and there are all sorts of problems on the internet, we can explore them later in this conversation, but I saw the power of open source technology, that it was not only able of democratizing publishing, what the, the mission of WordPress is, but it could democratize finance, that's what we see with mm. Bitcoin, but also doing business and to all content. We can bring integrity to all information that matters through search engines to policymakers. And when I learned about that, I thought, okay, we need to uh, step up the game. Someone needs to bring the benefits of blockchain timestamps to all information that matters. And I thought with the experience from the GDPR plugin, with the big network we have in the content management uh, space, with the big network we have in the open source space, with the, the credibility in Europe from GDPR. Yeah, I thought that I was well positioned to do so. So that's why, why I said, let's, yeah, let's start this new adventure. Can you elaborate a little bit and paint a picture for our listeners just how deep-rooted the issue of trust is on the internet? Why it's so important to resolve it? Yeah, for sure. I love the internet. And the internet has brought us many good things. With a push of a button, we have a car in, for our, in front of our house, which can drive us everywhere we want. We have social media to connect with our uh, friends and family. But at the same time, there's a deep-rooted issue, and that's trust. Quite obvious that that happened as trust simply wasn't part of the internet's design mm. the internet was built to connect computers to computers and computers they do not dream they don't care about power or self-enrichment but humans do as we have egos and mm. therefore the internet now suffers manipulation and theft and fraud as in a normal world we have kind of the common sense and systems in place to make sure that those obnoxious human behaviors won't thrive. But on the internet, those systems aren't in place. And therefore, search engines, social medias, they aren't trustworthy places. And because the internet is a bit of a mess, that echoes back to society. So what we say is, to save the world, we need to fix the internet. And trust really must become part of the base layer of the internet. And mm. that's possible in an open source way through timestamp. Hey, this is Brandon Stover, and you're listening to the Evolve podcast with Sebastian van der Lons of WordProof. In just a moment, you're going to hear how Sebastian started building a blockchain solution similar to a digital fingerprint to help fix the internet. But first, I wanted to let you know that all the resources and lessons from this episode are available as a free worksheet at evolvethe.world slash episodes slash Sebastian van der Lons. All of the lessons Sebastian is sharing are super valuable, but they are only as valuable as the ones you actually put into execution. That's why I distill all of the action items from each episode into one easy to use step-by-step -step worksheet so you can immediately apply them to your life and business. Lessons like how to create credibility with future customers, how to fund a blockchain startup, or how to win a startup competition, and so much more. These lessons are available at evolvethe.world slash episode slash Sebastian van der Lans. That's evolvethe.world. Or you can follow the link inside the show notes of your podcast app. Now let's get back to the Evolve podcast with Sebastian van der Lans of WordProof as he describes his solution for fixing the issue of trust on the internet through blockchain technology and timestamping. So this is when you decided, hey, this blockchain technology, timestamping, kind of like a digital fingerprint, this is the solution. So can you explain to our listeners what WordProof is? We have two things. I run the nonprofit, and that's called the Trusted Web, because that's what we aim for, an internet where all information that matters is transparent and accountable. And WordProof is the company that's a software as a service company, but there's also a free plan and there's an open source tooling to place the timestamps. So the nonprofit is about education and doing advocacy with policymakers and search engines. And uh, WordProof is the timestamp company. So what we do is making tooling that every moment you uh, publish your terms and condition or product information or uh, news articles with your headline and your body or your images, that it will be timestamped on the blockchain. So what is a timestamp? It's a unique fingerprint 
of your information and that's stored in a blockchain transaction. Information in a blockchain can't be altered. So you can prove that the information existed at the moment of the blockchain timestamp. Which, and in practice, what would that look like? On a news website, for example, you often see there, last edited three hours ago. Right. You could say, wow, thanks for sharing. That's super transparent. But you could also be a bit suspicious. What was there three hours ago that right. you're not allowed to see anymore? Probably that wasn't important a detail. Or maybe it was just a typo, but then I want to know. And what I like to see in the coming years and decades to unfold is an internet where, for information that matters, so terms and conditions, but also news outlets, government information, that all information is transparent, that I can see how it evolved over time, because in many cases it matters to see how it changes. And yeah. transparency results in trust, but also the ability to verify who really was the sender of that information results in more trust. And one of the big things we're working on is making sure or educating policymakers and search engines and social media that there must be a relation between the amount of transparency that a sender of information takes and how high information should rank in the algorithm. Mm. The same for our accountability. So if you connect no identity to information, it can be published, but it shouldn't go viral. And the more accountability you take for the information as a person or as an organization, the further content should be able to reach. So you have always freedom of speech. You can always publish anything on the internet, otherwise it's censorship, but there's not automatically freedom of reach. Yeah, you have a interesting idea about these tier levels that I was uh, hearing about, especially like maybe on a social media platform such as Facebook, where it reaches a certain tier level and it can be reach more people. Can you kind of explain what that is? Yeah, so what you can do is with a blockchain account or blockchain address, you can timestamp information. But what you can do with a blockchain account is connect an identity to that information. You can do that anonymously, but you can also say, I connect my government ID to information, which is yeah. the highest level. You don't always want to do that. There are plenty of use cases where you don't want to put your government information at risk. Right. But there are all st kind of steps in between. So the lowest is no identification with your blockchain account. A step higher could be an email address. A step higher could be a Twitter account. A Twitter account, you can have multiple Twitter accounts. A step higher can be a LinkedIn account that ex exists for longer than five years. Mm -hmm. Probably you're really Brandon then. You're really a person. And in that way, you have tier levels from uh, low to high. And what you can say on social media, you can always publish information also anonymously, but then only your friends can see it. If you have a bit more authentication, a bit more identity uh, connected to it, it can spread to friends of friends. But for, for information to go viral, you must have at least uh, a certain amount of accountability attached to your information. Hmm. One of the other points I wanted to touch on was when you were bringing up the example about uh, a news outlet, you know, posting something and it says edited three hours ago. And I think that is something that's like highly important in our society right now, especially when they put something out and it gets terrible response and they go back and change it because they want to be in line with society. But you can see that their views have changed and that's like a dramatic shift. And so being able to go back and look at, well, what did they originally say? How did they actually originally put forth these issues i think that's super important yeah so do i and the thing is it takes it takes some courage to do so mm -hmm. to be transparent and that's why we work for example with search engines because taking courage must be rewarded if a search engine and i can't elaborate too much on it now but you might assume that in a few months from now that timestamped information or search results that are timestamped must in a way be labeled that would be super cool mm -hmm. if hey this information has been timestamped or this news outlet shows revisions of this article in a way you could argue that that's a higher quality search result than a non-timestamped than a version or than a version that has no revisions so ideally 
search engines and social media reward your courage. So then there, because then there's an incentive to uh, be transparent. Sure. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about initially getting WordProof started and you funded it in a unique way, maybe than different startups and then even different than other blockchain startups. And from my research, my understanding, there's two ways to fund, which is a token initial coin offering and a worker proposal system. Can you explain both of these funding options and how you started WordProof with the worker proposal? Yeah, for sure. So in a way, a blockchain startup is just a startup. The, the things you mentioned, so the, the ICO, the initial coin offering, that's a way that, that happened a lot in 2017 and there were a lot of scams, so it has a bad reputation. Mm. We didn't choose to work with a specific uh, WordProof token because working with a token is the opposite of some, something really inclusive. What happened a lot with ICOs is speculation and you don't, I didn't want people to speculate on the price of, of a timestamp. Right. We want it to be as cheap as possible. So we chose not to work with a token. One of the funding things we did was a worker proposal system. So it's a total, totally democratized way of funding. How it works, there are multiple different uh, blockchains and I will sh send you an article which step-by-step -step describes the worker proposal. But what it is, it's kind of, there's a community. There, there's a blockchain. The blockchain has a billion in value and let's, or a million in value. And let's assume that 100 people hold tokens in that blockchain. That blockchain has an innovation budget of 1% inflation per year. So there's $10,000 available for innovation every year. What I can do is I propose, hey, I want to build uh, this future for WordProof. This will improve the internet and this will improve the value of the blockchain. Yeah. So please, as token holders, I convince people to vote on my plan. And when enough people vote yes, I get the funds that I need for that plan. For example, uh, $10,000 or $1,000 a month in that token. And every month they hold me accountable to say, okay, did Sebastian and did the WordProof team deliver? Mm. If yes, we fund him again next month. If not, we stop funding. And all that happens in an open source way through uh, smart contracts. And there are multiple, there, there are uh, a dozen of blockchains that have systems like that in place. Google for worker proposals or read the article. So our first, Twenty or $30,000 of funding came from a worker proposal system. Well, you were getting this ready for WordCamp Europe 2019, correct? Yeah. And yeah. going to basically give a presentation in front of 2,500 industry people. Were you thinking that these were going to be your initial customers and delivering this product to them? In a way, yes. I love the WordPress community. I'm part of that community for almost 15 years. I, I'm getting old and it's a great community people are so supportive and blockchain is really at its core a hard concept to explain sure. and the great thing of people in the wordpress community is they understand the principles of open source mm. the freedoms of open source so i was, I was really thankful to be invited to uh, share the story on main stage and launch the first version of wordproof which was a terribly working product by then but we we had hundreds of people that started using it and it got better and better and better until where it is today with over a million articles almost two million articles been time stamped from a few yeah what is it almost a thousand different websites using it the great thing they are initial users but they are really a community that loves to give feedback. So it mm. helped us really in improving the product really fast. Yeah, what happened after you first launched? Like what were the results of that first version? Blockchain and if, if, if anyone, if any of your listeners bought Bitcoin five years ago, it was really hard. You had to have a, a, a wallet on your computer and you had to wait until the blockchain was synced. And ideally, if you work with blockchain, you work with a, with a, with a blockchain wallet to sign every transaction you do. And when we launched the product, we had 
you you needed the wallets to out, out yeah to put your signature your timestamp under every piece of content at the moment of publishing which was okay for a developer but way too hard for a journalist and for an editor yeah. so from the open source perspective it was the most philosophical amazing product that we delivered but from a usability perspective it was terrible so one of the biggest learnings was okay make an edition of the product that works automatically on the background so that was one of the biggest learnings and uh, we implemented that one one and a half year ago after all the feedback we got that was a, a big step in in usability and ux and yeah from there adoption went up rapidly what did you guys do in terms of iteration and you know improving that ux i mean when i was on your website and looking at it, it's, it's very easy to use now. Very simple, like uh, straightforward. Thanks. That's a great compliment for the team. One of the co-founders is really into UX, so that helps. And mm -hmm. he said, Yella, from day one, I only want to work with you if UX is as important as technology. And that was quite unique in the blockchain industry uh, when we started the company in 2019. And so... I am in the WordPress uh, ecosystem for over 15 years. Yella is in the blockchain or in the WordPress ecosystem for over, I guess, 12 years. And what, what we did, one of the companies that's really great at UX in the WordPress ecosystem is uh, Yoast, the mm. SEO, search engine optimization. Uh, most people who worked with WordPress probably worked with the Yoast SEO tool. The founders, as they are running on 11 million websites, that's 16% of the internet. Joost, uh, Joost de Valk is one of the two founders. The other is uh, Marike, his wife, who is the CEO of the company. He wasn't a proponent of blockchain, but he really is an open source fan. So when I told Joost about the product, he said, okay, this solves so many problems in the world of search engines. This open source timestamp technology, although I'm not a blockchain fan, must become widely adopted. So that's where uh, Joost and Marike, the founders of Joost, decided to WordProof as they have the platform to educate and to bring this really to the masses, to, to mass adoption. So we learned a lot from working with them. He loved how our UX worked, but he had some tips based on their experience, he implemented those. People at Yoast, but also people from the WordPress community. Yeah, they gave us a lot of advice. So we often ask people we really trust and love and like to roast our product. <laughs> and good ideas are coming from there. And we're a team of eight, so we can quickly iterate with all the feedback we get. How do you go about explaining something like blockchain, you know, to the founders of Yoast, to, you know, all the EU policymakers that you work with? I mean, you work with a variety of people that have different levels of education about this sort of technology. How do you explain it to everyone? So it, it differs who you're talking to. So the European Commission did something great. The biggest funding we got until now was a grant of 1 million euros. There was a competition organized by the European Commission and that was called Blockchains for Social Good. And 176 participants from over 40 countries wrote a proposal and we were among the finalists, the 23 finalists, and we won that whole competition with 29.5 out of 30 points, the highest possible rate. I was really impressed by the European Commission organizing such a contest, as it was not only a blockchain contest, but it was a blockchain for social good. Yeah. For a continent to organize blockchains for social good, a lot of steps must be made. Firstly, you must understand what blockchain is. Secondly, you must understand that it can bring good things for society. Yeah. And so we didn't have to explain to them what blockchain was. We were just really thankful that they organized that competition. There wasn't a category for uh, what we were doing. So they created, because blockchain is often for finance and logistics and stuff like that, they created a new category for us, which they call quality content. And we, yeah, we won not only in that category, but the whole competition, winning the grants. So for the European Commission, we educate them a lot what timestamping can do and how that can 
democratize and improve search engines and social media and the internet as a whole and how that fixes society. So for the European Commission, it's really about educating them on how we, how we educate them. We have a policy framework. So the in, firstly, we say the internet was unregulated. Then Europe tried to make the rights of citizens, uh, give them better rights through GDPR. And now that they have a bit of better data rights, it's time for a next step. So after GDPR comes the trusted web where all information that matters is transparent and accountable. So that's what we educate the, the, the European Commission and governments around the world on. And when I explain blockchain in, or timestamping to publishers, I start, or to consumers or whoever, I always start with the benefit. The benefit is that there's an open source way to verify who the center of information was and how information changed over time. That blockchain is used. Most people don't care. Right, right. Well, I want to touch on the competition because that's an amazing achievement as you were speaking of. In preparation for that competition, you guys spent over 600 to 700 hours preparing and you wrote a pretty good blog post kind of breaking down what you did to win that competition. But can you uh, share how you approached preparing for it? It's really official thing organized by a continent. So there's a big list of uh, requirements and by then when we send in the proposal for the contest our company officially was only three months old. so we thought okay we want to participate in the competition and if we don't win at least we have documented all processes in our company yeah so we thought okay the big win must be that we have all paperwork done when we are done with writing the proposal. And I guess we spent more time than any of the participants on preparing for the competition. Mm. So there were six requirements. One of them is sustainability, environment, social impact, scalability. There were all sorts of requirements. And one of my co-founders is really into working together with policy, with policymakers. So he said, okay, there will be a score system. Every detail must be perfect. As Buzz Lightyear uh, would have said, to the stars and beyond. <laughs> so six requirements. Normally you do one or two brainstorm se sessions. We did 12 brainstorm sessions. On every requirement, we did two full days. Firstly, to the stars second day and beyond <laughs> nice so we did that for all requirements so there was no stone unturned every aspect of the story was so well thought of from a technology perspective from a policy perspective from a, a social perspective and i think that the the holisticity viewing everything from every perspective yeah that that really helped so as a listener, if you're into getting grants or see it, firstly, see it as an opportunity, not only to see, to win that grant, but also for getting your up documentation, for getting your thinking up to speed. So if we didn't win the million, we still had really well thought of every aspect of business. One of the points that you brought up in that breakdown was dealing with problems and not ignoring them. Were there any specific problems during those brainstorming sessions that came up and you were like, I don't know how we're going to deal with this, but we're able to come up with a good solution for it? Ooh. <laughs> one really specific one in our case was European Commission really cares about diversity in teams. Mm. And <laughs> one of the problems was we were one uh, non-binary person, but the other four were men. <laughs> yeah. But three of us were uh, gay. So what we did was explaining how gay is diverse as well. <laughs> so that was kind of a crude solution. We're all really proud. I often get emails, people saying, hey, this is such cool that you're openly gay. And that helps me in seeing that it shouldn't be an obstacle in my entrepreneurship or life as a whole. I'm quite... I won't say an activist, but I'm vocal about it because mm -hmm. I know that I know that it helped me when I was young seeing gay people doing great stuff. 
Yeah. Uh, my co-founder was the organizer of the Amsterdam uh, Gay Pride. So one of the problems was we weren't, from, for an, from an outsider perspective, we weren't very diverse as a team, but we emphasized our diversity and that that's in different things than being female. Now we luckily have females on the team and it's part of my hiring strategy to make a diverse team. But yeah, that was one of the obstacles that we tackled by emphasizing uh, some detail. Yeah. So again, you guys spent, you know, tons of time doing this, you know, 12 research sessions, 700 hours. How did you feel going up and pitching at this competition? Did you feel like with all this preparation you were going to win or did you feel still have anxiety? Yeah, of course we had anxiety. <laughs> it's, it's we This was bigger than anything I ever worked on. And when we got the invite to go to Brussels, where the headquarters of the European Commission were 23 of the 176 companies or initiatives were invited to uh, give a pitch of three minutes and do a hearing session for a jury of eight people, which mm. really went through the proposal we, we have written, which was 30 pages for all initiatives. Wow. And yeah, it was nerve wracking. <laughs> and we were really confident about the pitch. I think practiced just the pitch, which was a three minute pitch for over 50 hours, just the three minute pitch and tuning every word. We're not native English speakers. So yeah, there were some obstacles to overcome there. After the pitch, we were there with the 23 finalists. We needed to go to the hearing where we were really grilled on our IDs and really critical questions. And I was there, my co-founder Frank was there, Jelle was there, and we had the grill by the jury. And Frank said to me, okay, we totally fucked up. Everything went wrong. We just, that's, that was what Frank said. And I said, huh? were we in the same session? Although they were really critical, in two of their questions was the assumption that we were winning already. Mm. They made us, that, that was my co-founder. What I hear from their questions is that they already decided that we are winners. As they asked us about really the practical stuff. Okay, we have it on WordPress. How can I use it on Drupal? It, he, they were really in the flow of, okay, what's next? What's next? So Frank and I, we were kind of in a, a verbal fight, of course, because we were both nervous and we didn't sleep for three days as we were uh, doing the final details of presentations. And then a few months later, we heard that we were winners. So yeah, I, I was, I, I told, of course, I called Frank and I said, yeah, I told you, for me, it's not news, but we won. The, <laughs> and he, we, we both started crying. And yeah, it was such a special moment. Not for the money. The money was, of course, helpful. But the credibility that comes with your continent saying this is the best initiative yeah. in blockchain and social good. For example, they make research reports on the open source ecosystem or the startup ecosystem. Wordproof was mentioned 31 times in, their, oh. in one of their uh, reports from the European Commission. And the recognition that comes with the prize, that was the most helpful. Yeah. How have you guys used this momentum from the competition and the money, the award money to grow the startup and the product? It really helped. So one of the things we founded recently, but started working on is we thought, okay, WordProof is cool. Timestamping is cool. Everyone, every publisher, every big tech party, every consumer who learns about timestamping thinks that timestamping is amazing, that it's really cool. But the problem is no one knows what timestamping is. Right. So we thought, okay, lots of the budget must go to education. So that's mm -hmm. why we founded the nonprofit, the Trusted Web Foundation. And because we got a lot of attention by the, by the media. Oh, a Dutch startup won uh, 1 million. And that was great. But now we had to educate everyone on what the power of blockchain is and what the power of a timestamp is. So that's why we invested lots of uh, money and time making educational stuff. Uh, that's why we founded the, the Trusted Web Foundation because we needed to connect. What we see, the internet's broken. 86% of all Europeans have fallen for fake news at least once. And that's the people who know that they have fallen for fake news. Right. One in three is regularly suspicious of that. 
thinking, hey, can I trust this website? Not only my parents, not only my possibly my future kids, but my own generation is often suspicious. Can I trust this web this website? So we build momentum in really making sure, educating that these timestamps are a solution to the misinformation on the internet, are possibly a solution to fake news, are possibly a solution to online fraud, are possibly a solution to uh, copyright infringements. For example, a lot of young creators and a lot of uh, people running startups, content is being copied all the time, <laughs> which hurts. You spend hours, you spend your time, your money on making beautiful content and hours after it, it's it, it can be copied. And the thing is, people think that there's no solution for that because a lawyer is expensive. And in a way, what we learned is people take for granted that content will be stolen. Through timestamps, you can really democratize the protection of your creative work as well. One of the use cases on our website is a creative studio in, in Amsterdam. They make beautiful lamps with uh, two brothers, uh, Martijn Blom and Camille Blom, Blom, and they make beautiful products and beautiful content around it, photography, text. It's, it's really amazing. They make passports for the furniture they make. Their content, the problem was their content was stolen all the time. People ripping their content, putting it on eBay and start selling mm. uh, cheap copies of the product. They often tried sending an email to eBay, hey, it's a copy product, but they never get any answer. They started timestamping one and a half years ago, and once again, their content was copied. They went to the My Wordproof backend. There they were able to say, hey, this product is copied on this page on eBay, generate a legal letter. So literally yeah. in three mouse clicks, they create a letter, which is they send it to eBay. And in less than one hour, they got a reply. Sorry, we directly deleted uh, the fraudulent uh, copy. It won't happen again. <laughs> and they are a party that they took for granted that they were copied. They weren't able to pay the fees of a lawyer. And for less than 100 a year, they now have the legal protection they, they always wished but never could afford. They didn't yeah. have the time for it normally. They didn't have the, the money to pay the lawyer. And now it democratized the legal protection for them. So that's one of the super cool small use cases. And for them, being small matters again. Yeah. As, yeah, they have the legal protection that the big guys have, un although they are a small company. But also in publishing, through timestamping, you can prove not only to people, but also to search engines, who was the first one to publish information. In Google, in a search engine, it really matters who was first. Mm. If you're one minute earlier on breaking news, you will get 60 or 70% of all the traffic. So truly being able to prove who was first matters. And search engines visit big websites more often than small websites. But true timestamps, being a small publisher or being an independent journalist or writer matters again as in an open source way, you can truly tell to a search engine, prove to a search engine in the language that a search engine understands who was first all through open source time sense, which WordProof does automatically for you on the background in the WordPress plugin by the end of February in a Shopify integration. Nice. By, yeah, there's an API so you can integrate with all sorts of platforms there are. But that are some use cases. Uh, we really invested in education, writing good use cases and bringing it to all the platforms that people are using. Yeah, bringing so much power to the little guy and democratizing, you know, the ability for the little people to actually have a chance, a fighting chance against some of the bigger places. You know, we talked about the e-commerce example. You can think about somebody who's much smaller building something and then a large person coming in like Amazon and be like, that product works really well. Maybe we should do a copy of it, sell it ourselves or in the terms of the yeah. publishing example like the small independent journalists independent content makers being able to produce something a big media person comes in and says 
that content does really well, gets a lot of engagement. Let's copy it, do something similar. So I think that's a, that's awesome to empower the little guy. One more thing in the e-commerce use case, which is super interesting. So if you buy a product, for example, a fridge, and that product breaks, there are four shelves in the fridge. One of the shelves breaks in the warranty period. You go back to the website and say, hey, sorry, one of my uh, shelves broke. And then they say, yeah, but on the website, you see that it only has three shelves. So the product information changed on that website. Right. There's not really for you as a uh, consumer, as a buyer, a way to prove what the information was at the moment of buying. Through timestamps, you can show what the terms and conditions were what the product information were all at the moment of buying. So if there's a dispute now and emergent updated terms and conditions or product information, you as a buyer are really dependent on the willingness of the merchant to help you. So as a consumer, you're almost helpless if the merchant has bad intentions. Through timestamps, you can really give uh, the consumer it levels the playing field between the buyer and the seller. Yeah. Then a logical next question could be, why would a merchant do this? Firstly, policymakers can say, hey, at least you're required to timestamp your terms. and But the opposite is lots of transactions in e-commerce or a few percent of transactions, three to five percent was the number, I guess, of transactions result in any form of dispute. There are a lot of consumers with bad intentions as well, right. trying to misuse, uh, to say, hey, I don't trust your terms and conditions, making, misusing the goodness of the, the merchant. And through timestamps, the merchant can indisputably prove that they didn't temper their information, that they didn't temper their product information, which makes for every merchant that handles with integrity support way easier in many cases. So it's anyone who handles with great integrity. Yeah, and really building that tr uh, foundation. Does that make sense? Yeah, building that foundation of trust because that's what commerce was built upon is like, two people needing to be able to trust each other to actually have a transaction. So taking that to the internet only makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It really brings transparency and accountability as we have it in the offline world through to information on the internet, which can be product information, terms and conditions, needs government information, all information that matters. Hey, this is Brandon Stover and you're listening to the Evolve podcast with Sebastian van der Lans of WordProof. In just a moment, you're going to hear Sebastian and I discuss some of the state of misinformation report his trusted web foundation conducted and how we can help ourselves from falling prey to misinformation. But first, I wanted to let you know that all the resources and lessons from this episode are available as a free worksheet at evolvethe.world slash episodes slash Sebastian van der Lans. All of the lessons Sebastian is sharing are super valuable, but they are only as valuable as the ones you actually put into execution. That's why I distill all of the action items from each episode into one easy to use step-by-step -step worksheet so you can immediately apply them to your life and business. Lessons like how to create credibility with future customers, how to fund a blockchain startup, or how to win a startup competition, and so much more. These lessons are available at evolvethe.world slash episode slash Sebastian van der Lans. That's evolvethe.world. Or you can follow the link inside the show notes of your podcast app. Now let's get back to the Evolve podcast with Sebastian van der Lans of WordProof and dive into the state of misinformation on the internet. I'd like to talk about the report that the Trusted Web Foundation did that was the state of misinformation. There were some really eye-opening statistics in there. One of them being, you know, people were overconfident in their ability to spot fake news. 93% of uh, respondents feeling overconfident about that. They believe they see it maybe only a few times a week and that fake news is more of a threat to society than terrorism. They also said that misinformation is going to get worse before it gets better. So do you think this will be the case? And how can people keep themselves from falling prey to this information warfare almost? Yeah, so that that's a great set of questions. Firstly, why did we do the research? Because we need to learn more on the state of misinformation. 
I'm also doing a podcast, the Trusted Web Podcast, where I interview professors and solutions for misinformation. The solution is multidimensional. So one of them being educating consumers on it's called media literacy in 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 the US there are a lot of initiatives on media literacy so educating people on how they can research facts mm-hmm. timestamps help there as they are an open source way to get transparency and accountability who was the sender of that information one of the outcomes of the reports is Intentional misinformation must be a crime, must be handled as a crime, which really helps us in going to policymakers and saying, hey, we did a survey and we learned that people want that intentional misinformation is a crime. How can you do that? Timestamping is an infrastructure for at least not per se making 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 fake news a crime but at least for holding people accountable and that's an infrastructure for do, doing policy making in making the relationship between taking accountability and how viral information can go mm-hmm. what are some of the habits that you use to fact check or like discriminate between trustworthy sources on the internet for yourself Yeah, one of the things I do is researching multiple sources. So, and and that's what come what's coming from more types of research. That five to seven three articles must be read on a topic to have understanding of a topic. Mm. And what we aim to do, or what timestamps do, or what we aim to do, and what timestamps do is bring transparency and accountability to reduce because we make. Bitcoin makes money sound. It's hard money, which, and, and that's what we want to do with content. We make content hard, untemperable. It's, it's hard to, it's impossible to change content without the receiver being able to see that that happened. So through timestamping and building a trusted web in this open source way, we, we can make researching much easier. As, as it's easier to see who the sender of the information was and how it changed over time, maybe you need two or three sources instead of five to seven. Mm. You believe a lot in community and the open source movement. How has the community really helped you get to this point of success and how do you hope to contribute to it moving forward with all the initiatives that you're doing? Great question. So... The ideas, and that's that's often a phrase in the startup world, release early, release often. So when we launched our first first product on the world's largest WordPress conference, WordCamp Europe in 2019, we launched it and we directly asked for feedback. So it wasn't a marketing event. It was really an open ask for help, mm-hmm. which really helped. People in the WordPress community, they really care about inclusivity. So a few weeks after the plugin for WordPress was translated in 13 or 14 languages already. Super cool. That was a a contribution from the community. Today, one of the biggest Drupal agencies, in this case in the Netherlands, they offered to make a Drupal integration Mm. as an open source contribution. So by being articulate in how we tell the story with the nonprofit and by trying to be good custodians of the open source philosophy that works magnetic to people in the content management industry seems it seems like it seems to be have a magnetic working as people translate it for free people build integrations for other platforms yeah so by being deeply connected to those open source, multiple open source communities. Yeah, that really helps. Thinking about this open source philosophy and, you know, the way it's played out on the internet, if we can take that same sort of community and open source philosophy and translate it to other problems in society that are going to take, you know, all of us working together to solve, whether it's climate change or poverty or things like that. How do you think that can uh, translate over into some of these other issues? 
Yeah, in a way, we see this happening already. Bitcoin being an example, there are uh, many people around the world, billions, uh, 1.8 billion was the last number that I read, was they don't have a bank account. And what you see with uh, Bitcoin is, Bitcoin, and if you don't have a bank account, if you're not able to save a bit of the, the monetary energy you have in this world, if you're not able to save, that, that makes life way harder. And Bitcoin doesn't discriminate. So I see Bitcoin as an experiment. It's not mm. a finished product or it's not a finished bank, but all sorts of blockchain and Bitcoin and projects around that are focused on bringing just the simple thing of having a bank account to all participants in the world. So that's a wonderful example of how open source technology and a community, its users, can in this way democratize finance. And in terms of, you know, the internet and how much like impact it's had on us to this point, how do you think the internet's going to affect some of those other global issues as we go forward? To save the world, we need to fix the internet. That's what I deeply believe. In society, we have all sorts of systems, the policymakers, the common sense. For example, when when someone is walking here next to me and I push at someone and she or he falls and breaks an arm, people will say, Sebastian, what are you doing? How can you do that? But on the internet, we rob each other and we spy each other all the time. By making transparency and accountability part of the base layer of the internet, it will become more like the normal world where we can hold each other accountable. And that will unleash the true potential of the internet. What did the internet do? It really helped us in forming communities with peers around the globe for inspiration, working together. Through timestamping, through blockchain technology, we can make communication way more human to human without the noise, which makes collaborating easier. We, we learned so much in the last year during COVID time. Yeah. We really, all of us learned to work together remote. For example, working on getting investors in the WorkGroup code. Normally, if I wanted to have investors in the US and from Asia and from all around the world, they expected me to fly over and do my pitch <laughs> live with them. Now I bought a beautiful uh, camera and a good setup, some lighting, and from the comfort of my own little studio here, I can pitch to investors, pitch to customers without hurting the environment. So that's not a direct answer to your question, but those snippets make that doing business as a whole can be way more sustainable as we're all open to do stuff more remotely and through open source technology we can in this case make the internet about a connection from human to human which is special that wasn't possible before always in, in many cases someone was spying or toxic trolling was there internet will be about human to human which will really unfold a new generation of what's possible yeah, I think that's uh, hugely important. I mean, a lot of problems we see with social media is that lack of, you know, human to human connection. We're talking about trust. That's a huge human component that we have in real life that's not on the internet. So I think these are important things. The more we can humanize the interactions on the internet, it's going to help build that foundation going forward. That's something I wanted to touch on was when you were mentioning COVID, I'm curious how COVID and in the US, we just had our presidential elections. Did you see any sort of boost in WordProof or the adoption of it during these times because of this? Yeah, it's hard to say because we're such a young company. Yeah. We, we almost had the pandemic in all of our, lo in all of our lifetime. <laughs> so what we see is when we started and when we wrote a proposal for the European Commission, we had to explain that misinformation literally can cost lives. Mm. During the pandemic, all of us saw how reliant we are on the internet. And secondly, that misinformation is so harmful that it costs lives. So it made 
telling the WordProof and the Trusted Web story so much easier. Firstly, we improved the messaging as we spent so much time on it and talking to so many people. But secondly, the problem of misinformation, it's, it almost seemed like it even, it was a big problem two years ago, but it seemed to have doubled and the awareness of the problem. It, people are aware that it's a problem and through the trusted web and the reports we make, we educate them that we don't have to take it for granted. What do you see going forward for you and for WordProof in terms of where it's going, where it's going to grow to? In a few years from now, if information isn't timestamped, you'd be considered a fraud. What mm. are you hiding? That's the shift we need to make. That's a quote that uh, Brandon Bloomer did, uh, a founder of a great blockchain company in 2017. So, and that's really what we fight for. We, all information that matters must be timestamped. And as we, as consumers, as citizens of planet Earth, we deserve the transparency and accountability that it brings. So the mission for the Trusted Web Foundation, the nonprofit, is to educate everyone on timestamping, all stakeholders of the internet, and WordProof, uh, the mission of WordProof is delivering those timestamps uh, to all site owners, to all webshop owners. An arising and emerging ecosystem, which we call the Trusted Web, and WordProof will be one of the players over there. Awesome. Well, before I get to my last question, where can everybody find more uh, more about you and WordProof? Yeah, so add me on LinkedIn. My name, sorry for that, is really Dutch. It's Sebastian van der Lans, but you can copy and paste it from the show notes probably. <laughs> add me on LinkedIn if you want to stay in touch. On Twitter, de Lans, D-A-L-A-N-S. That's my handle. Wordproof.com is the website. Uh, if you're a WordPress user, you can just search for the WordProof plugin. Then you have the trusted web for the nonprofit. It's thetrustedweb.org where you can find the reports all for free, all without leaving your email address. If you want to start timestamping, there's an open source plan and there's a free plan. So 10 timestamps a month for at least your terms and conditions. Timestamp your terms and conditions. One short story. Sorry for telling it now instead of earlier. No problem. There was a guy having a great business, a software as a service business. And with the free plan... He timestamped his terms and conditions. Then he had kind of trouble with a customer accusing him unfairly about, hey, I don't want to pay this 20K invoice because I don't trust you. I think you tampered your terms and, uh, your tampered your terms and conditions. So I'm not paying that 20K. He said, yep, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I didn't do, I didn't tamper that information. And I can prove it. <laughs> so then he showed the timestamp and a few hours later, she directly paid. That's a user of the free plan. So it nice. really democratized. So that's a, a calling to everyone listening. I don't want to sound too commercial here, but with the free plan, you can timestamp your terms and conditions. And there's no reason not to do that. No need to buy any any tools or buy a commercial plan. A timestamp place, stop using it, is a timestamp place. Well, that's a excellent investment. I mean, five minutes of time for a, maybe a 20K return. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, my last question is, how can we push the world to evolve? Yeah, if you read in a news outlet and you see lost edited four hours ago and you want to know what was there, that's not there yet. If, if you, and you can't see what was there, just send them an email with, hey, I was eager to know what was on your website before. So... If you want to know something, just ask. Mm. And ideally, put the link of the Trusted Web, the, non, the, the, the non-profit, thetrustedweb.org. There's a two-minute explainer video explaining everything, the core concepts of what the internet should look like. So if you want to know, if you're eager to learn what the news outlet had there, just ask them and tell them about the Trusted Web. That would be really helpful that we can really get this movement in motion. It's picking up speed. In, in this month, we expected 2 million timestamps to be placed. Yeah, and everyone, if you want to know, just ask. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sebastian, for coming on the show today and sharing everything that you have. Yeah, it was a, a pleasure to be your guest. And uh, thanks for the important work you do with Evo Podcast, uh, Brennan. That was Sebastian Vanderlaan's of WordProof, which empowers internet users and content creators with tools to build a safer and more trustworthy internet with the help of blockchain technology. I believe that if we're going to solve any crisis our society or planet faces right now, we're going to have to get better at collaborating. The internet has opened up so many possibilities for this. However, as we heard today, it has also widened the gap to trust one another as well. That's why I think Sebastian's startup is so important. We must restore our ability to trust one another on the internet so we can continue to use it as a powerful tool for collaboration, commerce, and discourse to solve critical issues. Now, as a reminder, all the resources and lessons from this episode are available as a free downloadable worksheet at evolvethe.world slash episodes slash Sebastian Vanderlands. Now, I know that name is super hard to spell with it being Dutch. So if you go to evolvethe.world slash episodes, you can search Sebastian in the search bar at the top. You can also find all the show notes and transcripts for this episode there as well. Thank you for listening and joining the Evolution Revolution. If this episode was impactful for you, then share it with a friend, because pushing the world to evolve takes more than just you or I. Until next time, my friends, keep evolving. Keep evolving.